One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. Uh, so excited to be back. You know, I, I know I wasn't here uh, uh, last Friday. We had to do a replay. I, I got to play my own version of planes, trains, and automobiles getting stranded uh, in the Detroit airport. Uh, before making my way to another city, which I then had to drive to Boston, uh, drove from Boston to Delaware, Delaware back up to New York, from New York over to New Jersey, and flew home Wednesday. So it was one of those crazy trips, uh, but uh, back in the office, excited to be here, and really kind of lightening up on the on the travel scale for a little bit uh, before our next IMC, or International Maxwell Certification. So today I thought I was going to do uh, something a little bit different. Uh, this is a true story, um, but there's a lot to unpack here. And uh, what I'm going to talk about, I, I titled the story itself uh, called Dancing with the 900-Pound Gorilla. And it's a, a true story of, of uh, how a deal was closed. And it's been about 10 years ago. But a true story about how a deal was closed and just what happens in really large organizations um, when they don't have a, a single set of values or a single set of principles in which they follow. Essentially, um, the principle itself that's being followed is, you know, what's best for me, not, not what's best for the company. And so it's a cautionary tale. I'm going to take the whole show to, to tell the story because there's a lot to unpack and a lot of moving parts. Um, and uh, I'll do my best not to, to make it confusing. But what's interesting to me is, is, as I'm really investigating in corporate cultures and working with different organizations, uh, I'm starting to notice the, the after effects or the results is what I call that. Uh, and so I'll give you an example. So there's no doubt Jack Welch is a, a phenomenal leader. He's a, he's a great leader and, and has written a lot of books and he's a very revered person. However, there's consequences to different leadership styles. And so one of the most touted things that uh, Jack had done was his bottom 10% rule. He basically which said, like, if you're, if you're a bottom 10% performer, I'm going to get rid of you. And a lot of people praise that, that principle as, oh, that's innovative and way to focus on the top and way to really drive excellence and innovation. And while it may have done that for a while, what it's done now uh, is, is create a culture in which um, there's no trust. Uh, people will step on you in order to make sure they're not on that bottom 10%. Uh, it becomes survival of the fittest. Uh, very backstabbing kind of organization. You can see it in the stock price. I mean, uh, I worked for GE in, in 1996, got stock options at the time, I think at $86 uh, an, an option, something of that sort. And, and I want to say the last I saw it was anywhere from $20 to $30, something of that sort, uh, where it's trading at. So you can see the after effects of these, these leadership styles. Well, when you build a hierarchical organization, you've got, you know, huge, and I'm talking about this is a billion dollar company that, uh, that, we worked with, um, you know, it's interesting to see all the different levels and how they tend to protect each other. And so obviously the big company uh, is what I call the 900 pound gorilla. So let's, let's get into the story itself. Um, and again, there's going to be a lot of moving parts. If you remember, or if you think of a large uh, organization that, that sells, they've got a lot of different uh, services managers, a lot of different partner managers, a lot of different um, vertical managers, things like that. And so there was all kinds of people in the pot uh, in this deal. So it starts off 
Where the story actually begins, though, is that there was a, a, a new uh, services manager uh, over all of the organization uh, of the, we'll just call it the company. And uh, they were very interested in some of the services we were providing, but we were really on the fringe at the time. Our squared, uh, my company was on the fringe of partnership, and we didn't really have any interest to partner. We, we'd known the organization, we'd worked with it for a while, we loved the software, but a lot of the tactics that was being used by the company to us was, was not something that uh, I really approved of. So for instance, we had sold a large deal, sold the services, uh, we knew what their internal services cost would be, we were like $1 uh, cheaper than that to them, we ran it all through on their paper. So they had zero overhead, zero sales effort, and they get this big deal and I'm driving into work. And on the day that I'm driving in to kick off this client, they call me and try to reduce my rate by like $40 an hour. I mean, it was egregious, it was stupid. Um, and so I had to threaten to pull out of the relationship even though we had a signed deal in order for me to get to what we've already contractually agreed to. So there was a lot of these backhanded tactics and things like that. So they have this new services manager and he comes in and he starts, starts off with, you know, you guys should become partners. And, and so I kind of um, tout, you know, the, I tell a couple of those stories. And one of the other things that was a big advantage for us uh, at the time is that um, it was actually their sales teams would make more money if they utilized our my services team uh, because the way that they were compensated, they lost money if sales went through a partner. Well, I was happy to come onto their paper. Um, so they would get services credit and the full deal credit. Um, but I wasn't an official partner, so they actually made more money. So I would tout that relationship with, my, with the sales teams. And really, we had an ability to move their product. Um, but he keeps pushing on the partner thing. And I said, look, if, if we're going to become partners, then this is what I'm going to require. I'm going to require um, that we get a better rate for the services and that there's a reciprocal agreement. Meaning if I, if I throw 1,000 hours over the wall to you guys, you're going to throw 1,000 hours of, uh, back over to me at the same rates at like for light rates. And of course they were saying they can't do that. Um, and, and two key statements that came from the services manager that, that has always stuck with me. And I'm telling you, this deal is like 12, 13 years old. Um, first one is he explained to me that every dollar that our squared got was a dollar out of his pocket. And I just looked at him and was like, that's, that's the worst view of this. Like, how do you scale and how do you leverage people if that's, if that's the way you're thinking? And, what, and the other one says, what if I just buy you? And I was like, okay, what would that look like? Like, what would my job be? Because, oh, you come work for me. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to take that deal either. <laughs> right? I mean, why would I leave my own organization to come work for you when we're already outperforming a lot of the things that you guys do? So to set up the story, um, so you have a client project manager for, for this client that we're dealing with. There's an overall account manager for that client. And then there is a, a salesperson who's specific to the product, right? And so they start to, to do the negotiations. They work it out. The deal uh, gets sold. And now it's just a, a matter of, of, you know, dotting the I's, cross the T's, and really getting services. So they've agreed to buy about $2.5 million of product. Uh, and that's going to be important later to the story. Uh, and then the services was coming in right about uh, $1 million. So... Um, that was, you know, all fine and good, and, and they're ready to move on to the next negotiation and start talking with the services people. Well, in the meantime, that client project manager reached out to my salesperson 
and said, hey, we'd like to get, you know, quote on services. And during the telling of the story tells us that they're actively negotiating with the company. And so we state, and it's it's been a policy of mine, that we do not compete with the people that we're partners with. So even though we can go on their paper, they can come direct to us, we're not going to compete. They're not going to put us in a competitive uh, solution where we're just lowering the cost of each other. So it leads me to my first of six principles that I'm, I'm going to share out of this story. So principle number one is just to start the relationship with honesty. Don't, uh, don't bend your principles or bend your thing. If, if we've got a statement like we're not going to compete with the company, then we don't compete with the company. I don't care how good the deal is. So in the meantime, um, the account manager um, goes to the old product services manager and asks for a services quote. Now, as this old product services manager and account manager start dealing with the client, there's literally like four to five conversations where absolutely no headway is made. Um, they start to get frustrated with each other. Uh, the client is requesting things um, and, and the company's being too rigid. Uh, they, they won't accept terms and conditions, won't accept that they want the, some requirements into the, uh, into the scope of work. And so they're haggling over little things which leads me to principle number two, which is to allow flexibility. I mean, you've got to have a creative mind and a creative solution strategy in order to sell deals, especially when there's big deals. And so basically after four or five conversations, um, you know, they, they, they're just waiting and they keep waiting and they keep waiting for some document. So at this point, the old product services manager leaves the company and, and there's no transfer of knowledge. He's, he's just gone. So the product sales manager, account manager, product salesperson uh, go to like the overall services manager. And um, what they do at that point then is introduce this product service manager. So they introduce uh, somebody who rolls up to the big global service manager and, and he's introduced into this project. And he tries to pick up the contract, uh, but he still can't bend the things that the client's looking to bend. Uh, he still can't come to terms with them. And finally, the client project manager just gets upset and, and goes to the account manager and says, you know, we need to remove your services team. We need to go. We need to go to a partner. At that point, the client project manager calls me. Uh, me this time and, and not my salesperson and says, we, you know, we really want you involved in this deal. And I said, you know, we, we don't compete. So the only way we can get involved is if they call us to, to come into the deal. So they have to be aware of it and they have to initiate the contact. Um, so it doesn't look like I have any kind of collusion or I'm trying to negotiate directly with you. So that's, that's what they do. So they, they decide, all right, um, we're going to do, uh, we want to partner. We'll still buy the software from the company, but we can't use the company's services. And because of that, and there's no flexibility, we, we want to go to a partner. And so um, we're actually going to take a break right at this spot because it's a good break point. And uh, when we come back, we'll start talking about how we really got involved in the deal and what happened from there. But hang on with me, gang, because this turns out to be uh, quite a story. Uh, when we're all said and done. So we're going to take a quick break right here. You're listening to Rick Morris and the Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? 
R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance this Friday afternoon. I'm telling the story of dancing with a 900-pound gorilla, and it's, it's a deal in which a very large organization is trying to maximize their revenue, um, but I, I want to recap the players in this because a lot's going to move in this next segment. So just to kind of recap, um, using my name for me for R squared, I had a salesperson by the name of Greg at the time. Um, for the company, you have a services manager, right? So that's the global services manager over everything in the organization, top dog when it comes to services. Then you've got a regional services manager, so somebody you you know like a southeast uh, services manager. But this company has so many different products and so many different verticals. There's also a service manager um, dedicated to the product that was being sold. So you have three different services managers, global, regional, and product. On the sales side, you've got an account manager, right? So it's over the client's account and and manages all the products within the the, uh, portfolio of this company for that client. But then you have a product sales manager for, again, the product that we're trying to move. And you have a, a product sales manager and a product sales person. So now you got three people on the sales side. So three people on services, three people on sales. To further com- uh, to make this more convoluted, you also have a national partner manager for the company. So somebody who's responsible for managing all the different partner relationships. And then you have a partner manager that's dedicated to my company, that, that services me as, as my company. Um, and that services manager, which was the, the regional one, uh, that person changed out during the story. So when they first started the negotiation of the client, um, that person leaves, new guy comes in, no transference of knowledge. So that's that's to set the stage. So where we're at is the client's upset, tells the, the sales teams of, of, of the company that they don't want to deal with their services. Let's get a partner. Meanwhile, they reach out to me. And I say, I can't compete. I've got to be called by the company in order for me to come in. So uh, picking up the story from there, uh, the account manager, the product salesperson, and the product sales manager sit down and, and try to figure out the partner. But they really, 
want to strategize about what partners to bring in, which ones they feel they can manipulate, and, and really what they want to tell them. Well, in the meantime, the product service manager uh, starts to get frustrated. So he starts calling the client directly without the knowledge of the sales team. And so now the, the client's really getting upset because they got somebody else from the same company pitching them services when they already said we're done with services. And so the client project manager has to literally notify uh, the product salesperson and account manager about the end around, which then prompts um, a huge email to the product sales manager to cease and desist uh, calling the client what's, whatsoever. So these guys look like they're just running around um, have no idea what's happening. Um, and, and it leads me to my third principle, which is internal infighting only hurts internal interests. If you've got these many basically chiefs, right? We've got three services managers, three sales managers, two partner managers, and they're all trying to negotiate a piece of the pie. It becomes about who's got what piece versus what the client really needs and what the client really wants. So here's where it really starts to get a little fun. Uh, so the client project manager, again, reaches out to us and asks that we are involved in the deal. So in, anticip in anticipation of that, uh, we now know that they've contacted the company. They told us the companies said that they're going to get to us. So just in anticipation, we, just, we set up a meeting for the following week to discuss the needs of the client. Now, in the meanwhile, the services manager, the big dog of services, and the product sales manager, the big dog of the product, uh, call us and say, listen, uh, we've got this, this client. It's a really big deal. We've got it in the bag. It's, it's not a big deal. They just want to use a partner. And here's, here's their first lie to me. They said, well, the, the client project manager has called us and um, they, they want to do it on, on your paper just because it's more flexible, but they don't feel like you can deliver the services. So you need to backfill all of your resources uh, back to us. And uh, I, I was just like, that, that can't be right. That can't be right. So meanwhile, the account manager calls the R squared partner manager and suggests three companies. So competition, R squared and, and another. And so they call each of the partners to let us let them know that we've been suggested. But again, as a stipulation to the invite, we must promise to utilize the company's resources in a sub-agreement. That's 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 contingent on the deal. And uh, again, that didn't feel right. That didn't sit right with me. But you know, we we heard the information and we said, well, we've already got a, a meeting set up. Uh, let's let's find out what you know, what's going to happen with this. So after the official invitation, uh, Greg and I go down, we sit down with the client project manager and start the conversation. And the client project manager is letting us know, hey, we got to move fast. We've, we've already been losing time on all of this. This is crazy. We, we want to really move fast. And so we agree to receive their requirements. And then uh, I set up follow-up meeting um, for that Friday to say, you know, give me time, I'll review these, I'll come back Friday, let you know what I think, which, which gives me to principle number four, you got to make sure every client knows that they're important to you. And at this point, um, when those, when that requirements document first went to the company, it was literally like four weeks, they didn't hear anything. 
And here we are meeting like on a Tuesday and we we're going to give them full feedback by Friday. So, um, so I meet then again with the client project manager. We agree to requirements. Um, the client project manager um, asked for a scope of work from us and we set the deadline of, of the following Friday that we would get a scope of work. So now I got to start working with the company. I got to start navigating what they mean about subbing of services and all this other stuff. So I reach out to uh, my partner manager. I reach out to the services manager, the account manager, the product salesperson, the regional services manager, and the product service manager. And I tell them that the customer is really requesting that we have this SOW wrapped up by the 15th of the month. And I let everybody know that. So I send an email, tell everybody that. I called each one of them individually, told them that, and that we needed to have a meeting so that we could discuss rates for the services, the scope, and how we would backfill the resources um, from the company. Um, which from a sales perspective brings me to principle number five, which is to set deadlines and send them in writing and then hit them, right? If we're, if we're setting an expectation and we are trying to, to promise to this company that we can deliver services for them, then we need to hit the deadlines of the sales process, which I, I, I'm just always blown away by companies that, that don't pick that up or, or don't see that as important. So uh, we send out all those emails uh, and we get no response back. Uh, so I reach out to each one of them again and say, we've got to have this meeting. Um, again, I am sending an SOW uh, on the 15th. I've made that commitment. So if I don't hear from you, um, then I, I've got to move forward and I've got to pitch this. Um, and of course, I still hear nothing. I get no replies, no information. So I'm very aware of uh, the company, how they're structured, what their services are internally. Um, and so now I've, I've got to kind of establish a rate. So I, I need to move forward with the SOW. I haven't heard from the client, but I about know what, what they're going to come at me with, with rates. Um, and so I establish what I think is a fair rate uh, for services and go ahead and send the SOW and the rate to the client. Um, but I still haven't heard from the company. I've given them at least four chances, nine different people, um, and sent, sent the, uh, the contract on in, in uh, at this point, the, the services were, were $235 an hour. That's, uh, that's what I was going to send. Now, I did send one more email to let them know that uh, I was going to be sending this. This is the rate. You know, if there's any objections, let me know. Uh, doing everything we can to, to stay uh, in communications with this company. And uh, never heard from them. Never heard from the company. So on the 15th, um, the product service manager and the regional services manager set up a call with me. Now, they already know um, that I've sent the SOW. So they call back to me and they said, well, you know, how many hours do you think you know, you're going to kick over to us? And I said, look, right now, based on everything, it's kind of tough to know until we really scope the whole project. I said, but I, I think I can give you about um, 800 to 1300 hours. And they said, well, that's that's uh, two hundred thousand dollars. That that's all that is. We we were looking at a million dollars in services. I was like, yeah, but that's what they need. I I think we can do the deal uh, for around two hundred thousand. So I said, so why don't you guys go give me a rate, and um, we'll see about you know structuring an agreement to to kick the eight hundred to thirteen hundred hours over to you guys. 
So they come back and they say, well, our, our rate's 220 per hour. And I said, well, I said, look, my, my what I pitched the client was 235. So I'm only making $15 margin. They're like, well, this is already discounted. I said, okay, I'll tell you what, right? I, I want a relationship with you guys. I want to be honest with you. Um, you know, you guys could have sent me this rate before and I could have adjusted, but now it's already there. So I tell you what, I can accept that rate, but I want two conditions. One, uh, I need to be able to personally vet the resources that you're giving me to make sure that they're competent um, and that they're going to meet the needs of what we're looking for. And two, that um, you give me a reciprocal agreement. As I stated in that very first meeting with the services manager and regional services manager. So they said, well, there's, there's no way we can give you a reciprocal agreement at $220 an hour. And I was like, I don't care what the rate is. I just care that whatever I give you, you give me. So if you can't do 220, then I can't do 220. So if you can do 200, that's fine. Uh, and then you're going to give me 200 when I do work for you guys. Right. So whatever it is. And I said, but you know what? I said, what's interesting is I'm an architect which is the higher rate, what you're, what you're pitching me is a technical consultant. So I don't understand what the, either way you're getting a discounted rate. So whatever the rate is, I don't care. We're just going to do that. Well, this time the product service manager jumps into the conversation and states that, that they have what they need. They'll have the national partner manager or the services manager call me to address the rates. He's like, we got it. We got it. We're going we're gonna to get this person to call you. So that's fine. I said, but just make sure that he's aware that I've already given a rate and the hours have been set with the client. So the regional services manager states that the client has very deep pockets and I should have pitched way more hours at a higher rate. And what that leads me to is, is principle number six. It's, it's not about how much the client has, it's how much they need. And, and quite frankly, that type of sales strategy is what frustrates me in the first place. And that's why clients won't tell you what they really budgeted. Because they're afraid that you're going to come in $1 underneath that. And that's created so much distrust in this industry versus honestly pricing a project based on, on what you see the work is. And, and I always, I came back and asked them that one time on a personal, like side note, a couple of years later. And I was like, so do you guys just drag your feet and bill the hours just because it's revenue for the company? Or are you delivering a valuable hour every time? Because, you know, I built my whole company based on a strategy of every hour is a valuable hour. So it's not about what a client has, it's it's what do they need? And so, you know, now they're upset with me because I've established a rate they felt was too low. Um, they don't want to give me the rate that I give them. They don't want to give me the hours that I've given them. So there's no reciprocity here whatsoever. Um, and they're threatening me. And it's, it's, it's crazy to sit back and go, so how do we, how do we negotiate from this position? How do you, like, you're trying to negotiate from fear. You're trying to negotiate from intimidation. You're trying to negotiate in bad faith versus sitting down and, and coming up with a really creative solution for this client, making them happy. And, and it, here's one of my points on that. And I'm going to say this and then take a quick break and finish the story. Um, I remember I had a client that was having an issue and, and this very same company was dragging their feet. And you know, I went to them and they are like, well, we're just not going to fix it. I said, guys, you don't understand. I said, they have 900 people using the system. They're like, yeah, that's not that big of an install. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. That's 900 people 
who have the opportunity to influence as well as lead the organization. And I say, if we create an incredible customer experience for them, that's potentially 900 leads into different companies who would love our products so much that they suggest to bring us into those companies. You're missing that opportunity. So anytime you just kind of slough off a client, you're missing an opportunity, not just that client and whatever revenue is there, but all the people impacted are going to remember and they're going to take that with them. It's very important to remember that from a principal perspective of what's the right thing to do. If you look in the news now, talking about you know cars and, and cars being recalled, then they find out that they knew about it, but they just don't want to say anything because they didn't want to fix it. And then that turns into lawsuits where they have to pay 10 times the amount they would have had to, and then they still have to fix everything. And now the the customer relationship is so broken that they remember that you chose profit over safety. I mean, I, I, that kind of stuff just blows my mind when I watch organizations do that. So we're going to take another quick break right here. We're going to pick it up on how we went into close uh, this client, but it gets really crazy from here. Uh, so we'll take a quick break. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon, talking about a story called Dancing with the 900-Pound Gorilla. And this is where the gorilla really starts to show up. Um, so to recap where we are in the story, the, the regional, all, all the services managers are upset with me. They felt that I submitted a rate already to the client without establishing a rate with them, even though there was multiple opportunities and they, they don't recognize those. Um, they also feel like they should get a lot more hours that they were thinking it was going to be a million dollar project in services. And, and now they've already been relegated to about 200,000 at best. Um, and so they call the, the national services manager, the big dog, and, and just say, you know, we're ticked off at Rick. This is stupid. So the service manager then calls me and acts as if he's not aware of the meeting that I had with people, 
doesn't act as if he's gotten any emails from me or anything. And I said, just, I, I said, look, dude, I, I told you the amount of hours presented. I told you about the need for reciprocal agreement that goes all the way back to our very first meeting with you. And he cuts me off. He's like, whatever, I'm just going to have the national partner manager call you. I said, that's fine. It's not going to change anything, but sure, I'm calling. In the meantime, the services manager um, reaches out to uh, a competitor and said, hey, have you guys sent over a scope of work or a rate to the client yet? And they were like, no. And they said, good, I, let, let me come back to you. He then reaches out to the client project manager or to the product sales manager and, and asks for another shot to, to sell this directly and, and no partners. The client project manager was resolute. It was like, nope, I am not talking to your services team. We, that, that ship has sailed. So the services manager then calls the competitor back to make a deal with them. And he aligns with them because he can influence the outcome. He can influence the rate. He can influence the hours. So in the meantime, we're meeting with the client and discussing the SOW. And uh, I have a tendency to be too open and honest. And a lot of times I'll shoot from the hip. I follow my gut. It, it's, it's gotten me this far. Um, I, I like to say it's evaluated experience, but a lot of times it's my gut. And, um, you know, the, we get along really well with the client. We're establishing a rapport. Uh, but the client really kind of seems to, to enjoy that how open I am. And sometimes that, you know, I'm a little bit too honest to the answers of their question. So now the, the big gorilla is, is really struggling to figure out, you know, what to do. So they all meet and start to discussing the partners and decide to try to influence me to come to their terms. Um, but then they also decide to help the competition try to win the deal. So more money can be, you know, come to the big company. So the account manager calls the client project manager and, and starts then to pot shot up, starts to introduce doubt that, you know, R squared is a small company. I don't think they can handle a project like this. You really need to have us backing you up, so on and so forth. So the uh, client project manager then calls me and starts to address the size concerns and ask for a reduced rate. He's like, you know, any way you can reduce your rate. I said, look, if I drop the rate, then I'm not going to be able to backfill to the company. I've already got too tight of a margin. I've pitched you 235. They want me to pay them 220. Um, so I'm not going to be able to use the services of the company if I drop my rate. And client project manager is like, that's fine. And I was like, wait a minute. Um, let me let me ask you this question. I said, um, I was told at the beginning of this that I had to use their services and that came from you. And he's like, no, we never said that. We don't want to touch their services. We don't care who performs it. Uh, just not them. I was like, okay, all right, well, duly noted. So meanwhile, the account manager and services manager start to strategize about how they can influence me. How can, I, how can they push me to take what they want? And they decide to take the, the tactic that because of the size, again, the client is telling them that R squared must be backed with services from the company in order to win this deal. Well, the account manager and service manager is completely unaware of the call that I just had with the client project manager. And so the account manager calls me to deliver this message that I have to use the company. There's no other way. So I finally called my sales guy, Greg, and I was like, man, I can't trust anybody on this deal. This thing is crazy. Um, but if I don't relent to the company, then it's going to be lost, right? They're, they're, they're going to break it up. 
So the big services manager is upset with the fact that I've already released the rate, that a sales team forbids him to talk to the client directly. So he concocts a plan to ensure that he gets a large services deal and can be compensated by it. So he reaches out to the competitor and makes them a reseller of the software. And then they introduce a price through the partner, which is discounted more than what the company had already pitched as their best price. So they'd already established two and a half million dollars is the price of the software. But now they've got this new competitor coming in and introducing a price. And this competitor had nothing to do with this deal at all. Uh, they get the phone call, they get the opportunity. They're like, sure, we'll take a run at it. And, and you know, no blame, no harm, no foul on that. So I and, and, and Greg meet with the entire leadership team from the client. And they ask again about reduced rate. And I said, look, um, you know, I, I know that you have concerns that, and you're doubting whether or not we have the capacity. And then something in my gut just had me throw this deal out. And, um, but before I did it, I said, you know, can I ask you all directly again, if, if I don't use services from the company, did that really mean I wasn't going to win the deal? And the client was confused and stated that is, you know, that is not absolutely not the case. And so I tell you what, um, I said, your concern is whether or not I can deliver. My rate is my rate, but, but here's what I'll do. Um, I'll take a reduced rate for the entirety of the project. So at 235, I'll take 200 an hour. But when I deliver this project, when I say I can deliver it, in the time frame I say I can deliver it, then you're going to pay me 35 bucks for every hour I build. Well, they sat there and started to think about it. And it turns out this was a first-to-market strategy, new product. And they said, you know what? You're willing to do that. You deliver it in the time frame you state. And at that point, I stated like 1,800 total hours. They said, you deliver it in 1,800 hours. We'll pay you $60 an hour over uh, the 200 per, per hour. You do it from 1801 to 2100 hours, you'll get 235. And from 2100 and above, you, you'll get 200. And if you really play with those numbers, that, that works out, but it, it, it's saying that speed is there. So now we're all aligned. It was a great sales tactic, probably one of the best contracts I ever negotiated in, in my company. Um, but to this time, Time has been moving on and Greg and I start talking to each other and go, wait a minute, national partner manager was supposed to be calling me. The services manager is supposed to be calling me uh, to discuss rate and scope and that kind of stuff. And uh, they're telling us we can't win this deal unless we use them, but we haven't heard a word from them. So then the product salesperson, account manager and, and product sales manager are furious that the services manager and the competition has now come in and offered a lowered software price. So now their compensation is going to be cut dramatically. As I said in the beginning, if you used a partner, then it was a lower compensation structure to the company. Now, the client project manager gets this new software price from the competition. And they're like, this is awesome. Uh, we're going to buy the software from you. But uh, services, uh, we've already got a contract. We've got somebody we like. Well, the company services manager who arranged this goes, no, 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 no. That software price is dependent on you using services from the competition. Well, the competition was unable to turn in an SOW because they themselves didn't have a rate yet from the company. So the same exact thing that was happening to the, to, uh, the client and to me was now happening to the competitor. So now the client project manager is upset that they've not turned in an SOW. 
So what he ends up doing is awarding the software to the competition and the services to us. So now the software sales um, was two and a half million, but now it's $2 million due to the reduced price that they got from the competitor. But because it's going through a partner, the sales team only gets, um, right? They, their compensation is only 40% of that because it was sold through a partner. So when we, uh, we're, we're gonna take our final break here. When we come back, I'm gonna wrap up the numbers because they're mind blowing and kind of recap the story with, with the principles. I uh, wanna leave a little extra time on the backside of this break to, to finish the story up. So we'll be right back and listening to the Work-Life Balance for course. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. All right, we're back for the final segment of the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. Uh, and we're going to finish up the story of, of dancing with the 900-pound gorilla here. Um, so, just to keep some numbers in mind, the original deal was $2.5 million in software and a million dollars in services. And the client had agreed to buy all of this from the company. Their only stipulation is that they had a requirements document that they wanted included into the contract, that those requirements would be met. The company would not allow that. And so therefore, all of this craziness started because of, of the refusal to adhere to what the client wanted and, and being unable to break through that with the client. Again, a quick recap, we get brought in, we want a reciprocal agreement, the company doesn't wanna give it to us. Um, we start negotiating directly with the client. So to meet our deadlines, we pitch a rate, number of hours. The company's upset, even though they haven't told us a number of hours or a rate after several requests. Um, knowing that they're not gonna get anywhere with me, they go and engage a competitor. That competitor then has come in and pitched a reduced software rate and services. And the client now has made the decision that they're going to buy services from us, the product from the competitor. So 
again, with a 40% realization rate, if you if they were selling software through a partner, they started at $2.5 million, their compensation is cut drastically. Now, because they also introduced the company, introduced to the client that we may not be big enough to handle it, I had then to negotiate and I reduced the rate. So finally, once they, they realize um, that we've won the services deal, the company calls us and says, well, now we need, need to establish the reciprocal agreement. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys again, is, is this coming from the client? The client is saying, I have to use you guys uh, and backfill the services. They said, yep, that's a direct quote from the client. I said, okay, who? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, who from the client told you that? Because here's all the people I met with. And I asked them directly in an open forum. And everybody said, no, this deal is not contingent. In fact, they didn't want you guys around. I said, however, I'm a man of my word, but I had to reduce the rate of my services um, in order to, to quell a, an objection that you guys introduced. So what I can do is I can give you the 800 to, to, to 1200 hours that we talked about, uh, but I got to take a rate of 150 in order for me to make my margin. They basically hung up on me. So they wanted $220 an hour. I pitched 150 all of this because I didn't have a rate and had to close the contract without them fulfilling their needs. So they're, they're appalled. They hang up on me. So now let's talk about the total deal size. Um, and by the way, once they hung up on me, obviously negotiations over. So they tried to call me back at some other point and I just didn't answer the phone. It, you know, I tried even at the end to, to, to give them something. So the total deal was three and a half million dollars. Right, so two and a half million dollars software, one million dollars in um, in services. The actual deal came out to be about two and a half million. So uh, they took the two million from the competitor on software, half a million dollars from us. But the company who stood to recognize the revenue and everybody be compensated on three and a half million dollars um, could only recognize eight hundred thousand dollars from the deal uh, due to their compensation structure. So the sales team who worked all that time did all those calls, all that kind of stuff, they only got compensated on $800,000. The services team got zero compensation, no revenue whatsoever. Now, had they extended the reciprocal agreement to us at the time that I asked for it, I would have taken a beating in margin, but they stood to at least make $200,000, which when you're in a large billion-dollar organization, that may not seem like a lot, but everything adds up to me. So the competition ended up selling $2 million of software with little or no effort in Beach that made their margins. They were just kind of bystanders in this whole thing. And I got a half a million dollars in services. So when your only concern is how are you going to be compensated and how big the deal is going to be, you can watch $3.5 million dwindle to $800,000 in a heartbeat. So everybody at the company was concerned about how big this deal was going to be, how much they would be compensated. And instead of working together with the client, they fought internally and lost the client. This leads me to my final, uh, my final principle in this whole story. Principle number seven is if you do what is right, the compensation comes. But if you only look out for you, then you're sure to lose. I'll give you another example. Um, and, and it's actually, you know what? I, I'm making this connection uh, for the first time since I've been telling this story. So fast forward now, three years later, um, 
the project that we completed, we completed it on time. We got the $60 bonus uh, per hour. It was a nice little bonus check to us. Um, client couldn't have been happier. Turned out to be the project of the year for that client. They were a huge uh, organization themselves. And um, the client project manager and all the people that we worked at, at the client, they got awards. They got extra bonuses and compensation. I mean, it really was a solid project and it was innovative. We were the, it was the first time anything like this had been done in this particular industry. So fast forward, I think three years now, and that company had sold the division that we did this project for to, to somebody else. They, they got, they bought them out. And so this new company then inherits um, the, the technology that we did for them, but they have a com competitive technology. So they call me. Um, I work with them for about three months and we do a side-by-side -side comparison. We show them all the innovations that we did. And they said, you know what? This, this is perfect. The, we want to buy your solution. So the company had not been involved at all during any of these sales things, about three months worth of my time. So I call uh, the, the national product sales manager and I said, man, I got, I got a great deal for you. He's like, what's that? I said, well, I got, uh, I got a four and a half million dollar deal here. Uh, it's it's uh, at full price, no discounts, uh, and they're ready to sign. All I need is the paperwork. You guys don't have to do anything. It's four and a half million dollars. Well, the regional product sales manager gets involved and he says, wait a minute, that's a different region. So we were selling from a, a company in the Southeast to a company in the Northeast. And he said, because the original licenses were sold in the Southeast, he should be compensated for it. Um, not the the person in the Northeast. And immediately I could see the train coming off the tracks. And I was like, guys, I don't care who gets compensated because the company itself is going to get it. Nobody did any work on this. All you have to do is generate a contract. So I don't understand why we're fighting over compensation at this point. So they literally delay the signing of the contract by three and a half months, arguing internally yet again about who's going to get the compensation, who's going to hit the number. Meanwhile, this, this new company says, you know what, we find it too difficult to work with these guys, we're just going to keep what we have. And the technology and the innovation died. And it didn't die based on mine doing, it didn't die based on the new company, they loved it, they wanted to use it. It died because two guys in an organization couldn't come to an understanding based on greed. It's, it's phenomenal to me to, to watch the, the lack of, of values and, and the, the greediness that comes from setting compensation-based you know, sales numbers and, and a culture of, of competition with each other. And so this has become a huge cautionary tale for me to make sure that I stay to the principle of, of if you do what is right, then, then compensation is going to come. Could I have sold, you know, it was a half a million dollar deal. Um, could I have made it $750,000? I'm sure I could have. I'm sure the client would have paid it, but it's not what they needed. And it wasn't what was right. You know, furthermore, the, the same guy, this, this, this product sales manager I'm talking about, uh, brings me into another deal, same industry. So now I'm, I'm the industry leader in this market just because I was first to market. Brings me into this other deal. And they, they pitched it out to like all the big, the big six uh, consulting firms, uh, as well as this company. And so they brought me in. All the big six are saying, oh, this is an $8 million project. This is a $9 million project. I priced it at $500,000. And they they were surprised at how low I came in. 
um, I'm sorry, I pitched it at a million dollars. And they said, well, why, why are you so much cheaper than everybody else? I said, well, really, the problem is, is all these big guys that you're talking to have never done it before. I've done this before, and this is about twice the size, and I did it for a half a million over here. I can do it for a million for you guys. Well, this, this product sales manager sees me leaving money on the table. Figures if he comes in at about three and a half, he's still the low cost option. Um, so he goes in and convinces this big infrastructure. And once again, these guys are small. We don't know if they can service you, blah, blah, blah. And long story short on that, I do the entire sales cycle. I sell the solution, the whole sales cycle. They carve out about uh, $75,000 with the services for me. And so then basically they took over and the project was a huge failure. My favorite though, is they tried to come back and, and get money back from me because they'd overspent and hadn't delivered on the product uh, project, even though they had pushed me out. This kind of stuff is real world, happens to small businesses all the time, and it's something you look out for. But I, I continue to this day to do what's right in my heart and would, would be the way I want somebody to treat me. And if you do that, you know, I'm enjoying my 11th year of business now. Um, while I've watched competitors simply just come and go. So that's the cautionary tale. That's dancing with the 900 pound gorilla. Uh, let me know what you think of this format. Cause I get a couple other stories. I like to do with this where we tell a consistent story throughout the, the entire program. And otherwise next Friday, we uh, we're, we're going to be right back here. Uh, I've got some really exciting guests that uh, I'm just waiting on finalization. Um, but uh We've got some really, really cool guests coming up that are absolutely going to blow your mind. So uh, stick with us. I love you guys. Um, thanks for the support. Always hit me up at Twitter, Eric A. Morris. Uh, or you can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn or send me an email at rickafrikamorris.com or rmorris at rsquareconsulting.com. Until next Friday, we hope that you are living your work-life balance. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.